0: Tere Minu nimi on Aleksander Eeri ja vaatate fotograafiska ka jutusid. Tänane külaline taas uh, Eesti keelt räägib küll, kuid otsustame siiski kõneleda tema ka inglise keeles. Nii et uh, Steve Cocker, welcome! There is. Hello, welcome! Uh, very nice to meet you uh, once again. Uh, first off, uh, where were you born and what year were you born? Okay, we start directly yes. with this. Yes, I was born
1: in Montreal in the province of Quebec, Canada in 1965.
0: August. Beautiful and what first got you interested in uh, Andy Warhol? Um, Andy
1: Warhol, I was was a big cinema buff since I was about you know six or seven years old. I was just watching movies a lot possibly because I was an only child but I just like really cued into uh, an imaginary life through movies so on tv or going going to cinemas and um, Around about sometime in my teen years, I would be reading lots of books about all kinds of movie uh, cinemas, and um, and what really attracted to me was uh, independent cinema or international cinema. And so I'd come across the word Andy Warhol. I vaguely knew of him as a rather, to me, uninteresting pop artist. I wasn't so interested in the big uh, fa- famous uh, Marilyns, Elvises, and Campbell soup cans, or um, they didn't speak to me. But then I read about. Um, his lifestyle, uh, what they called the factory, his big studio where people gathered and and where he did his art and where all sorts of interesting uh, underground personalities would gather and also did films and so these films uh, had been taken out of circulation actually from the very early 70s up till starting late 80s but mainly mid late 90s they were completely like unavailable to be seen so I would read about these weird Fascinating characters and descriptions of the films from some people had seen them then and Somehow it started a whole kind of imagination of like uh, of these uh, odd characters uh, that he would assemble uh, the strange uh, Semi-illegal salacious things that they would do in this factory and how he would go about filming them and um, because I've always been attracted to documentary films uh, even as a as a kid and um, observing people I think this to me was the big big uh, big factor that cued me into Andy Warhol because the films just seemed to be statically you know positioned cameras that would just film until the film went out and almost you know no editing for the first three four years his films were all basically like this and um, and he just positioned people in front of the camera and let them do their thing. And this to me was really fascinating. It went against, against everything that it seemed cinema was, was about, all the artifice and, and, and the acting and the drama, which is also nice. But this seemed to me to really be a way to capture uh, people behind the masks that, they, that, that we all wear socially. Um, so um, so he, had a, he, he did about 500... Um, Short films called Screen Tests, and these to me were the most interesting things that uh, that I'd heard. That they were all silent, and he would just position people in front of the camera, give them minimal instructions, like just look into the camera, and then sort of walk away, walk out of the room, or would change the film every three minutes. <clears throat> um, but basically, left them left them alone in the room to stare in front of a camera uh, for sometimes up to. Like half an hour, sometimes just a, a few minutes, and uh, from the descriptions of these and the pictures, mm. the stills that I saw, and the kind of rawness in people's eyes, that really left a deep impression on me. Um, partially because I'd already been just—I don't know exactly why—but super just fascinated in human behaviors. And the, one of the earliest memories I have at all, and I was probably four or five years old, I would used to take the. Um, public bus with my grandmother and uh, and I would insist that we play a game where I would try to guess what different people on the bus would do in their lives or where they were coming from and where they were going from uh, going to and so I would just say like oh, she's a teacher at a kindergarten and she's going home now after school and her daughter is waiting for her and whatever and my grandmother would patiently listen yes dear yes dear now just okay. look at these people and um, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, at some point in, in uh, primary school I used to wonder like maybe I'm maybe like an alien or something who's just here to observe people or so, something like this I've always just I always felt myself a bit of an outsider <clears throat> even now, or maybe especially at primary school um, uh, elementary school um, and so just sort of slightly s- looking at people or the world from from aside and then when I read more about, about Warhol his films and him in general that something in that really 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 clicked and so um, inspired by these films I'd never even seen I actually started um, you know videotaping friends uh, very similarly friends and family members i would um, make them very uncomfortable by asking them to uh, (laughs) to sit in a room alone with a with a video going for maybe five ten minutes and walk out of the room and then have these kind of living living portraits ultimately
0: but and by saying that uh, inspired by by those films that you hadn't really seen Mm. how did you find out that those existed and once you found out that they existed, did you just had uh, like a synopsis of them, basically, or you or you got to know that okay, this is what he did, but you would never really, because they weren't available at that time. So you 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 just you were just inspired by the fact that you knew that this is what he did.
1: Hmm. I think this is a. Big part of my connection, my early connection with Andy Warhol, before I'd seen any of the films, uh, because eventually I did. I would then go to New York quite a lot in the early and mid '90s, and uh, where I met some of the people involved in, in the factory eventually. And when I was um, I was a film critic at the time, so I had kind of credentials to to do that. But before that, I w- it would just be from books and developing almost a bit of a kind of a, like an imagination about this world. Of Warhol and what happened there with all of the, the actors and the um, hustlers, the prostitutes and the rock stars and the drug addicts and the uh, disco club life, uh, people who would sort of hang out, ha- hang out there and be filmed and photographed by by him as well. So I kind of I think just by reading so much, I developed a bit of an imagination, um, saw stills from 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 that and was just inspired. And, and there, there were some people talking about his. You know, technique or lack of it, of just filming what was there that I found immediately was really interesting. So, it, yeah, sometimes I would just place a, a camera in a in a school um, cafeteria or something and film long shots because I kind of al- I also saw that people tend to be um, what I would call like a kind of real or or pure when they were at at rest not engaged in in social conversation or or doing something there was always it seemed like a little bit of acting which is fine but then suddenly I would just see when when the friends went away and somebody was left alone eating a sandwich or something somehow the facial expressions there were like seemed a lot more a lot more raw and this is what uh, Warhol seemed to capture in some of these films as well.
0: And what age
1: was that? Middle school, high school? That was starting in high school into college and university. Okay, so you were
0: still a young person, but did you yeah. have like a similar scene in Montreal? Or was that uh, was that your, you had a similar underground scene and you were like, Oh, these people uh, are like us or we are like them? Or was it that your life was so completely different that this was something like, wow like a mecca
1: yeah i think i was uh it was more that l- lat- latter bit i think Partially because I kind of grew up feeling different than uh, than the people around me. Either my interest seems to be different. I was aware also that I was more attracted to men than women, which I knew was normal, but also not considered like part of mainstream. Uh, I was quite quiet and shy. I had quite red hair. <laughs> you know, a bunch of things just made me feel like different than the rest. Probably, like I think many people feel feel themselves to be a bit a bit that way, but. Um, Growing up, I kind of also, you know, I went to a a private boy's school and was like, you know, fairly conservative. Um, I looked a bit like with my red hair and like a kind of an apple pie face, uh, very kind of innocent and pure. And I was like quite like a good boy in, in many ways. But I think part of me was always like. Uh, searching for what I consider to be the the opposite, or at least curious about alter, uh, other ways of being, or at least feeling that inside I may have other interests and impulses that maybe don't don't um, don't correlate with the, with the surface. So I would, um, you know, as a teenager, listen to. Uh, live broadcasts on the radio for example of the discotheques downtown on Friday nights and stay up really late and listen to all the disco music and and things and just imagine like what are these people doing in these clubs like it sounds like and just dancing and there's all 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 this kind of imagination and so I think with the Warhol scene it seemed to be like a whole alternate world that he created with these people and so I think that was I was very uh, attracted to people who seemed to be quite quite different to me on the on the surface
0: and in college, you studied psychology, right? Yeah. Yes. So, from that perspective, looking at those films of Andy Warhol, what would you say, as a psychologist or as somebody who studies psychology, what was he doing? What was like the impulse behind that, or what is he trying to find out something about humans? Is he trying to show something about himself? Like, what is the machine, or what's the energy behind that uh, that creation?
1: Mm. That's
0: um, a really big enigma about, about him, because it, the, uh, although there's a small
1: library of books and documentaries now have been made about him, but uh, still there's, well, there's no capturing any human essence really in, in, uh, through analysis. But um, it seemed to me that he also had this kind of feeling of being uh, an outsider, never completely accepted. Uh, even though he became extremely famous during his lifetime and would be, you know, paid so much money and attention. He grew up feeling really awkward, uh, ugly, unattractive, teased uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, He grew up looking very odd, oddly. He knew he was um, attracted to men. Um, lived ultimately even, even in New York when he moved there with his mother who seemed like, a, like extreme devout Catholic uh, kind of strange person who never uh, spoke English in, in her life. So I think when he was suddenly surrounded by these people and had an opportunity to kind of investigate them, he wasn't really into psychoanalysis or anything like this. He was quite into what the surface representation of a, of a human or an object would um, would say about 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 their inner essence so it's it's it 's hard to know what drew him to that. Uh, I could just say you know m- more, more personally it seemed to connect with what I was kind of interested in just observing human nature partially it uh, 's always a search for the self as well a search for an understanding of the self when you 're kind of trying to um, yeah people who go into psychology are are uh, famously cliched, uh, trying to figure themselves out, or interested in themselves, ult- ultimately, uh, because it's the ultimate puzzle. But, um, so yeah. uh,
0: When was the first time you went to New York? Uh,
1: I was given a ticket by my mom on my 18th birthday. And so I went again with my red hair and like super innocent eyes, and I was just completely like, what's going on here? But I knew it was very, (laughs) very interesting. And then eventually I started to go by myself. It's only a six-hour bus ride from Montreal, so I started to go many times a year. It became uh, almost like my alternate life. Uh, At first I would just hit all of the um, galleries and museums and bookstores and just sort of like soak in... Cultural references or history of the city, but also uh, it's such a cosmopolitan city. So I just, I, 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 in some ways, I was kind of educating myself m- more in in the arts, cinema as well. And then, um, and then, as I became a journal, a journalist and film critic uh, back in Montreal, then my my trips to New York became more deeper in terms of investigating film history. So it hit all of the bookstores and any kind of uh, exhibits. And then eventually, like, because it was the city of Andy Warhol, I started, and I can't remember exactly how, but like, especially in those days without internet and stuff. But like, I met up with a number of people from from the factory or from, the, from um, from his films, uh, on the kind of pretext of doing an interview and, and an interview um, uh, article, which I, I did in, in some cases, uh, but it was more to just meet these super freaky people who were still hanging out in New York City and uh, was able to, able to do that.
0: Beautiful. How did you become a film critic? <sighs>
1: How does one become a friend? I kind of stumbled into it. what happened. I had um, got a couple of degrees in uh, psychology and social work um, and worked for a few years as a counselor with um, uh, schizophrenics and manic depressives and bipolar, uh, people in what's called halfway houses, where they're released from the hospital and live in, in semi-independent um, living. But all the while, this passion for, for cinema had continued. And so basically, in my free time, going to films and studying about films was a main passion and writing, I'd been also writing stories and uh, diaries and things since I was also like, uh, like six at six years old was my first um, first uh, little uh, story, if we could call it that and so um, I I had a real urge to to write about cinema and I just contacted our local independent uh, newspaper that I was reading anyway and asked if they happened to need any, any extra help or, or occasionally just to try, try it out and they did. And so I did that, started just free and kind of as a kind of a hobby and didn't think it was going to go very much but I kept getting more and more requests for longer articles and things and saw that I could actually make a living with this
0: and, and so and that was really in line with these two passions at the time which was writing and cinema i'm gonna come back to that but because you mentioned working with uh, schizophrenics and manic depressive people uh, what did you learn from that what did you learn from those people so much so much foundational
1: um, sense of uh, of being human i think uh let's one of the many things uh, would be that there's very very little difference between um, us and them so the people that we call sane slash relatively sane and the ones that we think should be you know living somewhere somewhere else Um, because uh, it just sort of seemed to me that for example for example in a a paranoid schizophrenic uh, case where they might really be very convinced that they saw the same car for example um, several times in the last few days following them uh, or 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 that they keep passing the same color or something like this and, and so they were walking home and they saw this and it's like quite significant <clears throat> the rational mind you know listens to this and you know pu- pushes it away that it's quite obvious that it's either a coincidence or but actually almost everybody has at least a microsecond <clears throat> of some kind of connection like that, some kind of impulse thought like that, like huh uh, that's I saw that number twice already today, or you know searching for meaning, we're meaning making machines, and uh, sometimes we'll we'll'll we'll, um yeah ascribe significance to things that may be quite random, but this thought at first, for example uh, somebody it's as if somebody's following me. We, we actually get that, but then very, very quickly screen it out. And so, well, no, 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 everything's fine. But they just don't have those screens. And actually, one really interesting definition of uh, schizophrenia is just a lack of filters, which I've always loved, because it just means that we we have the, the luck and ability to filter out a lot of uh, existence and stimulation, because if our if I was to really sense all, every, even in this quiet space, all of the oral and visual stimulation, it would actually, I'd, I'd go crazy. I would, so I need to like filter it out and dull it out. So this, this continuum aspect of what we call sanity has was, was really powerful for me at the time. I was like 20 or something, but like.
0: A, this is so interesting yeah. because I've had basically exactly the same experience. Like I wanna mention two things. Uh, I used to do a children's theater, so a theater for children. Mm. So travel around the country and do plays for kindergarteners and school children. And uh, one time during the Christmas time, I've had uh, I'd had very little sleep because sometimes we had to drive for hours. So we had to get up like three or four a.m. Mm. in the morning to get to the right place. And we were doing a play for uh, a disabled children, mentally disabled children, like they had their own uh, school. And uh, up until that, that time, I'd had the belief that there are normal people and then there are crazy people, right? But I was so uh, sleep deprived and I was uh, behind the stage waiting for everybody to get there. And they were all making noises. They all looked a bit different. They had all like very uninhibited, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I'm exactly like them. Mm. And there isn't like a a wall separating us. But Mm. again, there is this this continuum or this uh, spectrum. Mm. And we all fall there somewhere, but change a person just a tiny bit. And again, we're all exactly Mm -hmm. the same things. And the same thing you mentioned about schizophrenia, uh, because I've seen many close people uh, struggling with different different problems. And again, something that I realized was that if I look at, myself my own thoughts or thoughts of other people who are quote-unquote normal then just as you said we all have so many different uh, ideas feelings thoughts whatever but the only thing that separates us from being strange or like needing help is that we don't believe everything Mm -hmm. that we think we all have those those strange Mm -hmm. thoughts but the only thing is like oh that's a strange thought and then Mm. you go on with your life. Yeah. But with those people again what I what I feel so oftentimes is just they don't have like a, a mechanism of understanding like yes I'm having this thought, yes I saw this, but that doesn't mean X, Y, or Z. It could right. just mean whatever. It's right. very interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of us would benefit from a little bit more a little bit more down the, 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 the spectrum because it also opens the gates to creative thinking and making connections that are more free free floating and free associating which is like a foundational source of, of creativity the more we learn to put things in boxes or oh no that's not relevant or there's no symbolism in that um, uh, or what am i thinking so what if i see the number 12 three times in a day it doesn't matter. but <laughs> but actually if and you know if we go too far then we we become disabled to, to get our work done because we might just be completely overwhelmed by this. But a little bit could say, okay, probably it doesn't mean anything that I saw twelve three times a day. But if it did, what would it be? And then you start to be able to to think, see, see yourself through a little slightly different perspectives and this kind of thing, as opposed to like get on with A B C D and I'm very busy. Um, <laughs> so uh, so a little bit would be would, would actually be a beautiful.
0: Uh, I'm going to change topics back now to the film criticism part. Uh, Like what makes a good film critic? This is something like it might be just a very broad brush question because I don't know what I'm trying to ask. But it's many people have criticisms of film critics because they're like, who are you? What are you doing? Mm. You don't know how to do it yourself. And then you're just like uh, coming up whether something is good, bad, whatever. Like, how did you approach it? First question, and then, like, what is uh, what is the role or the duty of a film critic? What is, the, like, what are you... Because you're not just supposed to tell me, like, what happens in a movie, but you're supposed to tell me something else. But what is it? Yeah. Um, I kind of learned through the process of this, but I think...
1: Um, so, some percentage would be a, a foundational base knowledge about cinema, like, to some degree doesn't have to be a, a PhD in it, but some some ability to contextualize what you're seeing into, like, a, put it into a larger context, more just like, I liked it, I didn't like it, or something, but like to see maybe where it fits into that genre in the history or of the cultural context or something like this. So there's, there, there's work and education, and some understanding about the basics of Cinematography and uh, lighting, uh, acting, so that you can have some reference points to be mm, to, to be able to even pass any kind of re- reflection. But uh, I think the majority of it, and what I always try to do, is to offer a personalized reflection um, of my reaction to to this cinema, to this to the to this film. So. There's part of it that's explaining a bit about what the... Because the reader doesn't always so much care, you know, what does Steve feel about this? um, Or partially, actually, they do, and that's what will connect with them, if they can get something personal. But they also kind of are thinking, should I go or not? The kind of they they want to know. So to to give enough context of the film to help them be able to answer that question, is this a film that's worth my time or not? But I think what's interesting is sort of like... um, this film experience filtered through my personality and understanding of cinema reflected back through words so that they can sort of have this uh, connect to perhaps my experience of the film, which would give them a lot more because, you know, if you... Well, it's like anything. If I ask you how your 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 meal was or something, you you can you can define precisely what it was and all the ingredients and how much it cost and where was it and how the lighting was and this kind of thing. And it might give me some like mm, that resonates or not. But the moment you start saying how it was for you even if actually i'm not interested at all in the food that you're talking about maybe i don't even like or i think i don't like what you what you're talking about but your experience of it i'm 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 kind of hooked and so i really tried to um to to offer offer that um without also being like too you know getting into my personal story or something but to to make it kind of to make it personal and not to sound definitive like this film is this mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> or anything like that cuz yeah that's always an illusion so looking at through uh, through that uh, perspective the films of Andy Warhol what like what did he do what's the what's the cultural significance if if any uh, how should we who are not film critics who are not uh, well versed in the history of film or history of art how should we uh, see them <laughs> With great curiosity and an open mind, um,
1: well, that's a, actually a really big question, so I'll try to like summarize. Uh, first of all, the films of Andy Warhol, even that, in a sense, um, it means many things to many people. Uh, it seems like really him behind the camera, turning the camera on and off, kind of happened in the first few years, like from 63 to 65, six or so. And after that, he he got less directly involved in making uh, making the films, and there was another guy there named Paul Morrissey who actually was the main director for the ones that we now consider the films of Andy Warhol. So even some of uh, Chelsea Girls and uh, the Flesh Trash, Heat, the Blood, uh, Dracula and Frankenstein movies, and a number of uh, a number of other ones, uh, Lonesome Cowboys. Um, these were all. Filmed by somebody else, and uh, in some cases uh, Warhol just gave his name to put on the on the poster, kind of a, or semi-produced it, and in other cases he was more more involved. So these. He just used film basically as a medium, one of many mediums, because he, he'd used, you know, silkscreen and photography and Polaroid photography and art and uh, the interviews, also text, like he founded interview magazine. <clears throat> and all of these different, different mediums, in a way, he was kind of like a pop art Renaissance man in that way was to kind of uncover or expose people in their natural state like i think i think a lot of like so it's just a medium for that so to approach his films as films is like is a very interesting process because it's they're not cinema his stuff was not edited at all um uh, no sound in the first years so but 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 it's also really fascinating to see what he did with the potential of that medium to uncover real personalities to 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 go beyond beyond the mask and instead of just um, well not just but uh, you know Hollywood cinema or most most films would would be heavily scripted and um, uh, with stories and storyboarded and and this kind of thing and he he went against all of that and still came up with something that's ultimately quite compelling even though for most viewers they were very very boring there's you know films that would last hours for example his first main one was sleep which was 5 hours of a of a guy sleeping in different positions for example um, but what's ultimately fascinating for me about the films like sleep or there's a number of other ones where you're watching and even you know watching a face for 30 minutes is is a challenging thing is especially now um, but what happens, what's really beautiful and what cues into, I think, something else I really liked in there is that the smallest tiny things that happen, for example, an eyebrow going up or somebody sniffing or something like this, suddenly within the context of that film, which can be a bit Tire, like okay do i need to see everything suddenly some little thing happens that normally is completely inconsequential and uninteresting but within the context it becomes monumental and significant and it trains your brain to actually focus on the small details that we just toss away as insignificant or uninteresting and and that opens up a real appreciation to to life itself i think in the in the small details of things so to be able to appreciate uh, what he also called the landscape of the human body, for example, in its micro-movements, uh, or in the way shadows fall over certain parts of the body, uh, or in some giveaways, that another mask is falling by the way, you know, eyes squint or something like this. Um, it, it, to me, these were monumental things. <laughs> mm,
0: that's very interesting, because before we started filming, you uh, mentioned Vipassana. Hmm. And what you said right now about within the context Hmm. of something that is, let's say, boring, then something very small Hmm. can become very interesting all of a sudden. And uh, I feel like as much I've heard other people who have visited Vipassana retreats basically say the same thing, that if you stay silent and not talking, not looking people into their eyes for 10 days straight, then all of a sudden, every sunset, every gust of wind, Every small gesture becomes so much more beautiful and important because it becomes filled with life. Because you have this contrast of not being constantly stimulated, stimulated all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that, I think, is life itself. There's a, a
1: quote in the um, in the in the tea world. There's a, a quote of a Japanese author, and it's probably one of my favorite quotes. It's something like, uh, um, "Those who are incapable of seeing." the smallness of great things cannot appreciate the greatness in small things. So finding greatness in the small details that are usually not even seen, whereas we tend to focus on relatively insignificant or minor things and call them great and focus a lot on, on, on the on the big movements, on the big gestures, on the on the fabulous moments, for example. And this is an invitation To completely throw all that away and find momentous beauty uh, of of potentially emotional significance in in a facial expression or a little twitch or in some in some beautiful detail
0: Uh, was that something that uh, you always had an intuition for or uh, uh, did a mindset like this uh, grow on you as you've uh, aged um, I think there was some. There was definitely
1: something always there. Certainly not formulated in anything like this. Uh, like I say, even in my teenagers. But uh, maybe because uh, some people know me as quite a typical Virgo, Nei-Ti, Uh so quite detail-oriented. So maybe there was something in kind of <laughs> the way I tend to approach life and like looking at small details and thinking about n- numbers. I again didn't have brothers and sisters so yeah my interest was in cinema and and music i mean i had thousands of albums uh, at some point and i would just sit for hours like thousands of hours probably just sitting and really listening to 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 music both my grandparents were also musicians my estonian grandparents so possibly also through them just like listening for the tiniest little sounds and and things so i i think somehow without understanding it I probably trained my brain a little bit to just know this small small details and then mm-hmm. at some point that transferred into kind of human behavior or something.
0: Uh, was the knowledge of psychology something that uh, when either looking at films or being fascinated by somebody like Andy Warhol seeing his work is that something that you have to try to switch off do not try to like psycho- psychoanalyze uh, everything or everyone that you see or is it something that has helped you uh, being a film critic for example
1: um I, ideally it would be chronologically both so so there's definitely a period that you'd go and just psychoanalyze everything and sort of uh, like which is extremely boring and, and for everybody involved, and uh, and and usually complete bullshit, really, because like um, because you're attempting to categorize and imprison people by your own very certain. Uh, <laughs> understandings of, you know, what they are and what box they should be placed in or something like this. So that's, that's it's a really, you know, again, it's a matter of degree, a little bit there, and you might open a possibility to understand a person in a way that they haven't been understood before, or to see somebody and reflect back to them aspects of themselves that they haven't really been before. But if it's just for the process of analyzing, which I think it was definitely for a while, or as an intellectual Um, exercise which it's a a horrible thing to do to another person but uh, combined with with perspective compassion and not not being super certain about what you're what about what you think (laughs) Uh, then you can yeah allow uh, allow an opportunity for somebody actually to step into themselves a bit so so it's a bit it's a bit of a bit of both
0: Uh, Steve Uh, You mentioned that your grandparents are from Estonia, Mm. but you were born in Canada. Uh, How did you end up back here? Um,
1: Well, back here is an interesting uh, term, actually, Uh, and a lot of people have used it uh, over the years and at first I was like, well, it's not back here. I was never <laughs> born So it's not technically back, but then again, I would think well wait a minute uh, Again, the same thing that, that we were talking about. It's like technically. No, this is not back uh, Because I was born in Canada, but if I allow a little bit of symbol to go in uh, Along this spectrum, the spectrum uh, continuum continuum that we were speaking about then huh in what way is it back? And probably there's uh, there is a way Um because it's always felt a bit of um, a question of uh, fate, fortune, that I'm actually back here. So I think at the beginning it was just simple, simple curiosity that um, both my grandparents died just before 1991, so they didn't get, they didn't live to see uh, Estonia become independent again and they never thought it would. And um, and at the time, growing up, I was always kind of kind of interested, as much as a kid would be. But like, and they wanted me to go to Estonian school in Montreal when I was uh, seven or eight uh, on the weekends, and I was like, not interested. Sorry, <laughs> um, uh, unfortunately, maybe then I would have had a better better sense of this unfathomable thing that you call grammar. But. Um, And, uh, but I'd see pictures and I would hear them speaking. And so there was some kind of closeness to me, but basically it was kind of Russia and dark and very, very far and quite impossible and stuff. Then it opened and I was also growing up and um, able to travel and I was planning a trip to Europe and I kind of just thought like, Actually, it was a friend of mine who lived in Sweden who said, oh, you know, there's a boat every day that goes to Stockholm. And, I, and somehow I thought, like, what? A boat? Like, you can actually go to this country? <laughs> like, where is it? Like, really quite clueless a bit. And so I thought, well, I suppose I should go and see what it was like. And it was 1992, actually. And it was a week after the Kron was was introduced. And I was just here a week. But it was, I mean, night and day from anything that is resembling now, of course. But I was... I was transfixed and hooked, it was like no other country I'd ever been to, plus everyone was speaking the language of these grandparents who I really loved very much, and, um, and although I didn't think in this way very much at the time, I really heard a voice telling me, Your home. I remember I was like somewhere in Vabodosevalliak or something, uh, and um, somewhere in the old town, and I kind of heard as if a voice and and I wasn't now I'm a bit more kind of esoteric <laughs> as, a, as a person uh, but I didn't really think in that way at the time and I but it was so strong that I found myself answering uh, looking around me and going I don't think so no this is not home like this is a very different place it's interesting but it's not it's so so different at the time but but ultimately, ultimately, that voice was um, was true. I fought. I guess I fought against it for a while. I, then I, I basically I visited here in Saint Petersburg that first time, just a week each, and then came back a year later and stayed a few months, and came back a year later and stayed a few months, and came back a year later, and this slowly my life kind of uh, started to grow here, and I was visiting Russia a lot, and. Um, and my life back in Canada as a film critic, but I felt like I'm staying in this position too long. I'm no longer really enjoying it, and, and so I just thought, I'll come here, to Estonia for like six months, and just six months, because of course I'm not going to move here, but I'll just come here for six months, and uh, and and take some time off and enjoy and get to get to know the country, and uh, and basically I'm still here <laughs> since. I-
0: Okay, and how did you find your way from, uh, from films and from that previous life, from music uh, to tea and bodywork?
1: Well, before that was another transition, which was an amalgamation of writing and travel. So as I started to travel more, basically basing myself here, and I was still always interested in writing, I at some point decided, okay, I don't, I don't really feel like going back to Canada, so I'm going to stay here for a bit longer. Not sure how, but how can I stay here and get you know, some kind of job? <coughs> and I became a travel writer. So I wrote for the Lonely Planet a uh, series of publications for about seven years and was traveling... Uh, a lot and the um in in this area and in, in russia a lot and uh and was writing guidebooks so that kept me here and then and then when that was coming to an end and i still found after seven years like i don't really want to go back to canada i'm pretty you know i'm pretty es- established and rooted here um but i'm feeling this is coming to an end what am i going to do now by that time tea had come into uh, my life as a as a main interest and passion and a bit nerdy intellectual pursuit and as well as like a personal personal habit and hobby and so i thought why don't i try to do something like that in estonia because at the time it was like 2004 i started i started importing teas here there was very little um choice and i kept complaining how like shit the tea is a selection here but in riga and st petersburg they have tea salons in there but Tallinn has nothing in it. and then i kind of heard myself Complaining one day again and just say like well, would you just shut up then and do it yourself or do do something yourself. So I started um, <laughs> An attempt at being a businessman, which is still being attempted to this day <laughs> um, So I just started um, slowly importing uh, better teas and uh, got contacts in in Germany and went to China and uh, one by one started um, selling teas to uh, restaurants and um, hotels and various things and just sort of um, grew from there and now there's a shop and it's quite a big big infrastructure and then massage i was always kind of also interested in not always actually i don't know like uh, i started i took my first massage course in 1998 and that all that was also a bit of a i um uh, a random, a random thing I just did with a friend because I was suggesting that he does this, and he said, well, "Hey, if you're going to make me go do this, you come with me as well." And I thought, okay. Um, but that grew into a very serious hobby for me. So basically, I've never stopped taking uh, various kinds of bodywork and, uh, and massage courses all the way, But uh, all, all this time, but kind of relegating it most of the time to just hobbies or things I would do with offer to friends or a way of communication, nonverbal communication. Um, but that has developed a lot m- more as well. And now it's to the point where, yeah, I'm kind of I, I do
0: more of that, actually, than than, than my, my tea life, I suppose. So for me, those two things <laughs> have to do with something that I feel in our country and in the Western world in general, we have big problems with. First one, with tea, it's slowing down, hmm. which I feel is very important, yeah. which we don't do enough. And the second one, with bodies, that human beings, especially men in our country and in our world, are not very much in contact with our bodies. Hmm. We're very cut off from our emotions Uh, are those two things that I mentioned something that you have also felt that have also been a reason why you do those things or is it just uh, that for whatever reason you like tea and you like body work and uh, the things that I mentioned don't seem that important to you
1: yeah, they're completely irrelevant, and I can't <laughs> understand why you're asking me these kind of questions, for <laughs> heaven's sakes. Um, <laughs> no, they're very, very on target, and I think the, there, are some, there are things that I kind of realized later on, because for a number of years it was kind of in my head like, I like tea very much and I like body work and uh, like massage very much. And uh, for a few years I was thinking how can I possibly integrate these two very separate things like <clears throat> into my life? Like they're very important to me but like how do they go together? And and uh, um, and actually uh, I mean uh, ultimately I, I can see that they both emerge from a similar source which is one of of silence or as much silence as I can cultivate uh, and one that uh, encourages silence slash slowing down slash noticing these moments and these details uh, and things that the mind is not very interested in uh, consciously so for me they're almost v- they're very similar expressions actually of, 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 a, of a same source even though they might look uh, very very differently and um, the embodiment aspect that also came I would say only in the last ten years that I had kind of an understanding of that because I focused a lot on <clears throat> on technique and relaxation and method of nonverbal communication and a kind of muscular approach to to the body um, and re, you know could notice that small miracles would be taking place even from just like foot massage accompanied by a talk for example or just incorporating casual touch into a touch into a talk but never quite connected what was going on. Uh, But now I I, I absolutely see that there's so much um, lack of understanding about the body, but also a disconnection with, uh, with the body. And I'm really heartened to hear a lot of people being able to put that into words. People who come to me will actually now in the last few years, be able to say that I don't feel a connection with some parts of my body, for example. And so, so sometimes body work doesn't have to look like a massage. It can be just helping a person understand their corporality, like their, their, physical, their physical selves, and in doing so, of course, deepen their, their experience as, uh, as, as, as full human
0: beings. What would you say to a man, a male, who feels uncomfortable being touched by another man Hmm. and i mean that in a non-sexual way Mm -hmm. because there are very very many men like that in the western world in estonia especially who feel like i'm a tough guy i'm so free i'm my own man i do my own decisions but if you ask them to like raise their hands above their heads and shake their hips they fall apart they can't do it Mm -hmm. they're too afraid if you ask, like, can you have a get a massage from another man? If you're like very tense and sick and whatever, they can't. Hmm. They won't. Uh, there is a uh, an acquaintance, let's say, who uh, a friend of my uh, my father's, who had a specific issue with a specific part of uh, his body, and uh, because he feels it's a private part of his body he wasn't willing to uh, go to a doctor and he basically said that if uh, if, it, if it should ever go that bad that I need to go to a doctor then I have a gun to uh, take care of that problem basically meaning he would rather kill himself mm. than let another man not absolutely non-sexually uh, touch him physically
1: mm. well that's very powerful um, well you've also th- threw a dart kind of at the at the center of 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 a lot of what we've actually spoken about because um especially now but already for many many years um well a majority of my clientele are men and so I actually work a lot more with men um but n- not exclusively but what I started noticing even before I was quite aware of what was going on, but just the the fact that I've um, well, the fact that I said I'm more attracted to to men, so that's like brought me close and in t- contact into men. But I tended actually not to um, identify too much with the gay community or something. So I've actually from high school on, I don't know why, but I've been kind of like drawn to and a mutual drawing to you know heterosexually identified men and so there was a a lot of time of like either friction or some kind of like interesting contrast in these relationships and uh, and and things and for a long time I just was nervous or didn't understand much about it but over the years I've seen I mean now in the hundreds of times some real deep beauty and deep relaxation uh, when uh, guy can let himself be touched, admired, hugged, massaged, something like this. And, and it can be a completely non-erotic or non-sexual way, but intimate always. It's, uh, always a, there's an intimacy. But together with um, safety, a feeling of safety, comfort, and yeah, non-expectation. And how healing that that is. I mean, I, and and it's sad for me to think that I'm actually pretty rare to have seen so many examples of this in my life um, because these same people have you know many times who never touch their own friends like this maybe have a real need to be approached in this way but unfortunately society doesn't make it easier doesn't give scripts for men to follow to be able to touch in this way so now uh, people come to me for this and uh, and still have my friends with whom I'm like quite kind of like touchy you know in, not always with, with everyone depends but I also am able to I do workshops for example and do some um, workshops and festivals like Tantra festival in Sweden for example where I, I lead some um, workshops just a few hours long but for like brotherly touch I call it like uh, like uh, platonic intimate touch for men something like this and uh, I make it very fun, and like and things like this. Because then there's always like, uh, whether it's twenty or seventy, very nervous-looking uh, guys come in from all ages. Like and really like sometimes telling me before I think I'm going to have to leave this workshop. It will be intense for me because maybe they've been abused, which happens a lot, unfortunately, uh, or they're just you know homophobic for most of their lives, or they have something, and I think oh, I'm going to need to leave. And by the end, they're like little puppies, like allowed to just share physical space Um, so it's a huge huge need i think for most people i also don't necessarily think everybody must have this kind of relationship but um and so what would i say Uh, it's a it's tough uh question i I would not impose anything on anybody who's not ready for something if somebody comes and says that they're very uncomfortable about this but they, they they're sick and tired of being uncomfortable about it which i hear a lot, uh, or that I have these friends and I don't even feel I can give them a hug or cuddle or something with them, what can I do, then I would either, you know, through talking explore what they might feel safe in exploring, or just give some tips on how to incorporate casual touch. But um, I think it's the the potential for, you know, quote-unquote healing, or if we could just say a more balanced um, living out of one's masculine self is massive with uh, incorporating touch. I think if... I think if touch is completely left out, just like you know, we're yeah, (laughs) we're not full beings if we if we let that out. Yeah,
0: I feel like in our society, one of the reasons why men love sports is because it's one of the ways where you can get non-sexual, non-erotic physical touch, which is again, it's a very, it's actually a very masculine thing to touch your brothers and your yeah. uh, your friends and so on it's a it's very it's very primitive in the best kind of sense it's very uh it's what warriors and uh and soldiers and so on have always have always done but we're lacking it so we get it through sports and people who don't get it through sports i find either get it through violence yeah I've, i i know i've met, met many 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 men in my life Young men my age older much older who have the need to get absolutely drunk and start fights yeah. because through fighting you again you get at least you get that physical uh, physical closeness right. uh, and uh, and if you don't do neither of them then usually we have men who have a lot of pent- up anger and uh, they get like random diseases that come out of nowhere absolutely but, but yeah. actually it's like 30 years of suppressed uh, suppressed needs and mistrust basically. for other men too yeah. There's huge lack of trust on the part of men uh towards other men yeah but it's but it's always connected to like the that if another man touches me in a non-erotic way and i find like comfort or solace or anything yeah. like that yeah. that means something about me yes. that means that yeah. i am x y z and this is it's such a toxic mindset that uh i i really hope that we can we can grow past that in the coming years Uh, I have time for a few more questions Uh, first of all the motto of Photographiska is inspiring a more conscious world Uh, Mm. what do you feel inspires a more conscious world how can we how can you how can the viewer inspire a more conscious world or create Mm. the more conscious Mm. world
1: Um, I guess first thing that comes to mind is um, um, is taking care of the self enough to give some alone time to yourself every once in a while so to, to to nourish this kind of inner silence or inner inner peace that sometimes seems very far away from the monkey mind but that it's really there so whether it's through some kind of meditative practice or even a jog in the in the forest sometimes some some, some way to, to, to actively nourish that that space because I think uh, ultimately everything starts starts from there so there could be a whole list of answers to the, to the question but if you don't feed that essential foundational aspect of of our nature that that the rest most of society does not want you to feed this or it's very uninteresting to do so that you can't really step step much further
0: beautiful and, yeah. um, have you had anything uh, important uh, important values important beliefs that you've changed your mind about over the course of the past 5 10 15 20 years
1: hmm mm. yeah probably so many things uh, 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 so many things that I was uh, certain about uh, throughout my life has like time and time again been shown with um, humor irony compassion and sometimes a slap across the face to be just sort of like ha 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 and you thought this um, so um, yeah, I can just pick one of just being, being, being certain, well, that's, uh, e- even that, that, this, this, the, the, that incredibly powerful feeling of certainty that we get many times throughout the day, that either my opinion is correct about something, or the world is the way, or should, should be a certain way. It's almost never never that way, and, um, and so, yeah, the more alternate perspectives we can have on things, the, the more that, that is softened up. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say that's, um, that, that's like a really cr- cr-
0: critical one, this letting go of this certainty of life. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so you have the Chado Tea Shop. We didn't yep. mention it, we kind mm-hmm. of uh, walked around sure. it, but you have the Chado Tea Shop. So if anybody is interested in fine tea, they can find you in Old Town, I know, right? Yeah, it's on
1: Ouz XI, Ouz, Uxtest, Ouz uh, eleven. We have the best staff in Tallinn, I'm
0: pretty sure. Beautiful and yeah. also the best art on the on the windows. Yeah. By a great childhood friend yes. of mine. Eric yes, Hardik, yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want to say, leave people with uh, before we start? Start? No, we're not going to start. We're going <laughs> to stop. <laughs>
1: um, well, every start is a new beginning, um, <laughs> and the ending is a new beginning. Um, uh, well, my, to, to read a bit more of the, my philosophy about tea and touch, uh, there's a, I have a website called teaandtouch.com. Um, that would be w- w- one thing, and um, mm, yeah, mostly uh, really thank you for your uh, for, for your presence and your awareness, and for the, the your ability to create a space into which other people can step out into, which is one thing I really admired about. Warhol as a kind of a character, he created space in which people felt comfortable to be themselves, and I think it's an important uh, aspect of uh, of an interviewer as well. And so you've just done that with me today,
0: and that's a, a great, a great, uh, great pleasure. Thank you very much. Steve you, mm. Thanks. Uh, Sureite, kikidelevattemast ja kohtume juba järgmine kord Heite.